Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product owners stumbling our way through our product journey. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit more about their skills and their experience. In this episode, we're talking to Ramanan Morthy. Ramanan is currently a product manager at Zero and has been with the company nearly four years. Ramanan is a pragmatic product leader who subscribes to modern product management practices. In the recent past, he contributed to the product community via Product Tent Auckland by connecting New Zealand product people with international product thought leaders. In his downtime, he loves gardening and started a rare indoor plant collection during COVID times. He loves running and playing sports like soccer and badminton. His career goal is to help demystify product management and help create good product leaders. And his proudest achievement outside work is climbing Everest Base Camp, which is about 5,400 metres high in the Himalayas. It's been a while since we started or done any episodes, so it's nice to get back into it. So welcome, Ramanan, it's really nice to have you. And you've been at Zero four years, so there's going to be quite a few stories that we've got going on. Maybe kick us off with your background, how you got into product management and where it all began. Yeah, nice to meet you both, Fran and Loki. And it's a beautiful day in Auckland. And uh, I know, Fran, you're in Auckland, so you're going to have some good days today and tomorrow if you're around. So just to take a few step back, I've been in software development for nearly 10 years now. And probably started with product around six years ago when I was at Orion Health as a business analyst. I was lucky enough to have uh, Anthony Mata, which you you would probably know if you're in the Auckland Circle, as my mentor and manager at the time. So uh, he kind of pulled me into product and took me into the product tank, uh, Auckland meetups and activities like that. And since then, I'm here at Zero, uh, uh, started as a product owner and then become a product manager. But one thing probably people don't know about me is that long, long time ago when I did my undergraduate degree in computer engineering. My first proper job was a test engineer in the software development. And then uh, I decided to move into people and project management after that. Was that an easy transition or was that something you had to retrain or develop more skills? Or were you just like, I'm going to change career? <laughs> How did that work? You mean from software development work? Yeah, yeah. Or, the or like the testing stuff. Yeah. To getting into, you mentioned business analysts right there at the start. And then... Yeah. I was always figuring out what I want in my life at the time. So for me, it's about closing the door. So I've done test engineering and I know that it's not for me. And I went into people management and banking. And again, I felt like I kind of want to do much more than that. I even, when I did my master's in finance, I even tried to get into investment banking. And I know that living with spreadsheet is not my thing. So I was keep closing my doors. But I think as soon as I got into business analyst world, I kind of figured out this, this is the sweet spot I wanted to be in between business and technology. But the one thing that I didn't quite get in the business analyst role was getting involved with the why, why we are doing this, what's the outcome behind it. That kind of pushed me into product, but I didn't have any guidance and everyone needs guidance and mentorship at some point. So when I met Anthony at Orion Health, I figured out, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I can't now think about any other field other than product, to be honest. And just to clarify, test engineer is a QA, is that right? It's a QA, yeah. But at the time, there wasn't any automation or anything. It was a manual testing that I was doing. They had a very long C++ code, just checking for syntax errors and things like that. QA, business analyst, people, project management, master of finance. You've got such a range of things there. Is there anything in particular that you found has been a thread through or really stands out now that you're in product out of all of that background? 
It's a very good question. And I probably need to think deeply about that. I would say trying to understand why we are doing has been the threat, if, if that would make sense. When you're working in a master of commerce and you learn a lot about the investment and why companies exist, the key principle there or, or why profit-making company exists, is about maximizing stake, shareholder value, which is not very different to what we're trying to do in product, right? Which is all about how can you deliver the maximum value with the limited number of resources? So I think that's probably the thread. I was always wanted to create value or be part of the creation of value. Makes sense. Good answer. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so you're now a product manager at Zero. How do you describe what you do in your role to someone? Imagining you're at a barbecue or something. I don't think I have got a perfect answer, to be honest. I think everyone struggles to explain in layman terms what you do. But the funny thing, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but I was listening to this podcast from Matt Leamy, who wrote the book Product Management in Practice. And he was saying that he explained to his mother that he sit in front of a computer and help people who sit in front of a computer to tell them what they should do. <laughs> He's a product coach. That makes perfect sense, right? But I've got like my own theory and, and, and someone else's explanation that I really like. So I'll go with mine and see whether that, that fits. And I would say as a product manager, you're trying to maximize the outcome with a limited resource. That's what you're doing, right? And resource here, I don't actually mean just people. I'm talking about time, tools, and all that. Your company will have a limited resource. And if you can punch above your weight, that's what a product manager would do. The next best one that I've heard is product managers are there to help make better decisions with the team. That's also something that I really like, but that's not mine. It is really nice. Yeah. Decision-making is something I think that's really important that's come comes through in, in product quite a lot. Yeah. If you go back to the definition of product manager and would probably largely sit in two areas, product discovery and product delivery. In product discovery, you're, you're trying to make decisions to how shall we pick the best problem com solution combination to solve, right? So there's a lot of decisions around there. And also in product delivery, it, it's about the iterative value. How can you deliver value faster? There's a lot of delivery decisions there as well. So I like that because I think the key part of what we do is helping people make better decisions. We're just being interested to expand a bit more on that in your day-to-day -day job as an example. Do you have particular tools or things that you use to help make better decisions? Because the classic <laughs> trading off between things is really difficult, at least I find, within the product space. Yeah, there's a lot of things I can talk about, but I'm trying to probably stick with just straightforward two things that comes to my mind immediately. As a product leader, you're responsible for setting the vision and creating a strategy that satisfies the vision and, and related to business objectives, right? So the best thing that you can do, if there's only one thing you can do, it create that clarity for your team. What is your strategy? What is the focus area? And how can you link that back to the business objective? And that clarity should help the team make better decisions, in my opinion. And the second thing is you can go even in one step further into product principle, how we build product. And that principle should be the guidance to the team. So rather than giving you stride decisions out, you should try to think about the clarity and building a decision framework like a product principle. And one of the things you're mentioning there, it's not necessarily you as the product manager making all the decisions, right? It's collectively as a team making better decisions. Yeah. And when I talk about product leader, and, and I'm actually thinking a step ahead, every product owner, I look at them as product managers because they are much more capable of doing product discovery and delivery. And the leaders of the individual contributor should be a product leader. So there are certain decisions a product leader would make around strategy and the vision, team topology, and team objectives. But at a team level, it depends on what decision that you own. 
and I don't believe in consensus decision, trying to get a voting or anything like that. But if you look at maybe the good way of looking at it, you've got the four risks that you're trying to validate in product discovery, right? So you've got the value risk and viable risk, which I think the product manager should be leading the decision making, but collaborate with others. But when it's come to usability, that should be a design manager or a designer. Likewise, the feasibility risk should be a tech lead or engineer. You're probably familiar with the double diamond approach, right? You've got the problem diamond and the first and the solution diamond. Something I learned recently, I was talking to the talks from Wellington, even in the solution diamond, there's actually two parts to it. One is the solution discovery and the solution design is the second part. A lot of time we talk about the solution design and that's where you've chosen one solution and then now you're designing what that solution would look like. And there's a lot of decisions we need to make while we're designing that solution. I think the engineers will be playing a very key role on that detail level decision making. The double diamond is something that has fascinated me a lot recently just around the different phases of stuff certainly within my area making sure we do that divergent thinking as well to understand all the possible ways we could solve something and then obviously converging back towards that solution i find sometimes that that step is skipped and you just jump to the first solution that may solve Mm -hmm. the problem (laughs) which is which is okay if you're consciously doing it uh, but make sure that you have a reason and why you're doing that jumping into that one solution if you have opportunity to dwell into more solution, then make sure you pick the right one, then and that's what you should do. Yeah, and I guess that comes back to your, your point at the top around doing what you can with the limited resource that you, you have, right? Yeah. Sometimes there is that time pressure part that you can't spend <laughs> all the time looking at everything. Yeah. We've also been doing the double diamond. It's quite fun. And we actually did the divergence and our solution was exactly the one that we had thought about at the beginning, but it was really good mm-hmm. to explore the other options for sure. Aside from decision-making, are there any other product frameworks or tools that you have used a lot of or go to? So there's not one particular tool or framework that I always bring in with every problem that I go to, because if I do that, then that means I have a solution in hand and look like a hammer looking for a nail. So my suggestion is to dive really deep into the problem and really understand the problem and the solution or a framework should come naturally to you as a product person. That's, that's my suggestion. And the example I'm thinking is I've been learning a lot about transformational listening, and it's not just attentive listening. Have a think about how many times when you try to interview someone, you think a lot about the questions you want to ask, but not really listening to them, right? Because you want to ask the right question. But the message that I've learned recently, it's around the transformational listening. You don't really think about the question because you really want to understand the problem. So your goal is to understand. And when you understand, the questions come naturally. Likewise, if you dive deep into the problem, the framework and the tool, that would come naturally to you. That's, that's my point here. However, I don't want to disappoint you, but I did actually think about what is the one thing that stuck with me for a very long time. And this particular model, I've used it for decades. So this is called Success Triangle by a guy called Cohen Brown. So he came up with this Success Triangle to guide people around. Now, what are the three things that you need to do to achieve success in anything? And, and the three things are clarity, capability, and motivation. And Daniel Pinks talks a lot about motivation and he talks about purpose, autonomy, and mastery. So if you take each one of them, so the clarity for product people, it's about, like I said, it's the bread and butter, building that vision, building the strategy, and providing the clarity. That that would definitely come in handy. And the capability, it's about what do you need? What skills and experience do you need to achieve something? And lucky at zero, I think most people we have are very highly motivated, but there are things product people can do around motivation, such as creating that environment and culture where people thrive and celebrating failures and learnings. I always think about the success triangle when I'm in a situation, how can we make this work? 
And I find that simplicity of that framework or model that really helped me all the way. And it stuck with me all the time. I really like that. I was thinking you were going to bring up the cost, resource, time triangle, which is, what is that? The, the, <laughs> the project, project manager? Uh, yeah, yeah. The quality, cost, and uh, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. But jumping back to it, was it transitional? No. Transform transformational transformational listening. Transformational listening. I love yeah. that. How did you learn about that? And how do you practice that? I feel like it's actually something that's like active listening. You really have to be very intentional on it. Yeah. How have you gone about doing that? So I only recently learned that, and I can probably send you the podcast where I've learned about it as well. The idea is very simple. You listen to understand, not just to listen for the sake of it. And in order to listen to understand, you need to have ask certain questions to the person just to keep them talking, keep them explaining what they're trying to say. And then there are a few questions, and I probably can't remember all of them, but one of them is around, hey, tell me more. Take me back to the beginning. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, things like that would really help people to talk more, and then you really get to understand more. And some of the questions, uh, I think it's around, okay, how did that make you feel? So you now get into the emotional side, not just the, you know, the fact side. It's a really good podcast, and I should probably give you that link so that you can attach to this speaker notes or something like that. Yeah, please do. But um, yeah, I think including myself, everyone should get better at listening. We think that we are a good listener, but we always think about the question when we are listening to other people. What question shall I ask next? Mm. Yeah. Hey, I think for me, it's really interesting hearing that because in a way, it's just making sure you have the curiosity for that context and the problem yeah. behind stuff. Yeah. And and I think for me, one of the, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a podcast or reading, but the concept of jobs to be done and actually trying to understand and empathize with the person you're trying to learn mm -hmm. more about and map out their experience sounds like it would be applying this type of listing, or at least yeah. that would be how I would approach it. Yeah. Those are some great skills and things to think about. Imagining you're a new product owner or maybe someone who's looking to transition more into the PM space, are there any other key things that you'd recommend them learning more about or thinking about? I think this is also one of those depends questions, right? Where what sort of background that person comes from? Because usually mm. this person is already in product development already, probably in one of those uh, product delivery capacity as engineer, BA, QA, agile coach, et cetera, or they're probably completely outside product world when I could be in the sales marketing. So first of all, understanding what sort of background they're coming from is very important when you're trying to help these people. I love thinking in a more structured way. Have you guys heard of the hierarchy of competence or four stages of competence where you go from the unconscious incompetence to uh, unconscious competence? So if you're someone from outside product discipline, then do as much reading and listening as possible just to understand the landscape. This is where the books, podcasts, meetups, networking, and even doing secondment in a product world would really help. And then specifically, if you're coming from product delivery, you understand the delivery cycle and how Agile helps in that delivery cycle, then you probably want to now understand the discovery cycle. So maybe partner with someone about understanding, okay, what do you do in a discovery? What do you do in a design research? So that would be a good way to kind of balance your skill. And if you come from design, you already probably have a really good appreciation for problems and discovery and all that, right? Customer centricity then you probably want to now look at the product delivery side and see what happens in agile delivery world and what are the dependency management? How do you release? What's the release pipeline look like? It kind of depends on your background a lot. And once you become conscious incompetence, that's when you know what you don't know. <laughs> then find a mentor. Find a mentor and ask them, hey, I want to know about strategy. 
I want to know about how to build a roadmap and why we should build a roadmap. And then, you know, specifically get that help out from that person. That's really cool. There's so much in there and it really depends. In your personal experience as a product manager, how do you work with your product owners to upskill them in a way? Are there any particular, yeah, I don't know, frameworks you use or regular check-ins or? Yeah, I've got a a few tools in my (laughs) toolkit. Thanks to my mentor, I've started using a motivational mapping exercise. So if the product owner is keen and they said, yep, I want to get better at what I'm doing, and, and not just in product, but generally as a professional, I take them through the motivational mapping exercise. Basically, it's trying to understand what you like doing, what you don't like doing from your own perspective. And the second phase of it, it's collecting feedback from the people around you, 360 degrees feedback, and they're going to give you a view around how they view what you're good at and what you probably would need to work on. And then combining your self-reflection and the feedback you've got to come up with the areas that we need to work on. And then I, I like to create that short, medium, and long-term, one each, and then work with the person to come up with a plan to tackle that. So that's the motivational mapping exercise. And the second one that I've just started brainstorming, but I haven't actually used, it's using Marty Kagan's Empowered book and where he lay out the, the different areas of product management. It's kind of a matrix and you can actually rank someone on where they are. So for example, product discovery, one to 10, where they are. So the person would have a view, as a manager, you would have a view, and then you'll have a discussion and then you talk about where do you want to take to. So that's probably second tool I would want to try that out as well. And then third one, it's your one-to-ones and, and every single opportunity. I'm a big believer in feedback. As soon as I observe an area for improvement, I would have a chat with the person and then give that feedback. My rule of thumb is that I should only give feedback if that is valuable for the other person, not for me. I think that's, that's going to be, help them. And, and usually that's appreciated. Uh, most of the time and that's my way of coaching and helping others thank you that was really insightful no worries yeah yeah that's great i guess one of the questions that i always sort of struggled with is focusing on amplifying people's strengths versus building up their weaknesses do you have a, a thought around that when you're developing a product person what bits do you recommend focusing on yeah that, that's a very good question i think we should definitely balance both out the strengths and development areas. I would probably focus on one to two or one to three ratio. So pick one strength that the person is really good at. I was talking about the motivational mapping. The one thing that as a person who is self-reflecting, this is what I'm good at and the people are giving feedback you are good at, pick that one and amplify that further. That could mean, let's say this person is very good in delivery and making sure now they are optimizing how they deliver as well as can they actually teach someone else to become a better person. So that's the amplify for me. And then the one to two or one to three ratio, then you pick two or three sort of development area so that the person will become more rounded person over time. Great answer. Thank you. One of the things we often ask is in your career thus far, what's been the biggest learning? Biggest learning. There's, there's a lot of them, to be honest. And I, I think the last four years at Zero has given me a huge amount of learning I've probably never had in any of other career before. So I'm really grateful for Zero and the people. Okay, I'll take a step back. Now, you learn a lot through books, podcasts, meetups, interviews, and all that, but not everything is immediately applicable in your day-to-day life. But there's one thing that I've learned when I went to MTP conference in San Francisco and I heard Teresa Torres talking about this. That particular talk really stuck with me. It's about stakeholder management. And I think it's one of the key important uh, part of of a product role. 
And she just simplified a lot of things for me in that talk. And, and uh, I think I did a talk on that in the XPMG as well. So it should be in a conference page recorded somewhere under COP product management. Basically, she said there's three principles that we would need to work on to have a really good stakeholder management. The number one is about bringing stakeholders early. Number two, it's about understanding their constraints. And number three, giving them the confidence that you've got it under control, right? So bringing them early. The point that she tried to make there is we are very good in sticking with our answers. Once we put investment on something, and then when someone else challenges, we really struggle. If you go back to school days, we talk about your answer versus my answer, right? So the, the way she said that we can avoid that and trying to get out of it is by bringing stakeholders and others early in your approach or evaluation. So I recently, again, learned in another podcast where Matt Leamy, I think, he talks about a one-hour, one-page. So his idea is that you should not spend more than one hour or more than one page on any idea, any approach before you review that by someone else or collaborate with someone else. And the benefit of doing that is because you're not going to be invested. You put two weeks onto a slide deck. And then as soon as someone pointed out, then you're like, no, this is the right way to do it. You're going to unconsciously start defending yourself, right? So I think that the one hour, one page concept aligns very well with what Teresa Torres is talking about, bringing stakeholders early so that you don't fight about your answer, my answer, but you collaboratively work on that answer. That's the one thing. Second thing is understand stakeholders' constraints. That's when you, let's say you've got a project kicking over, or you want to build a feature, and then you, you pull in the people that will be impacted by it. Sometimes what we do is we define all the scope upfront. And then as soon as we hear one more thing, we scream out, say, scope creep. <laughs> Personal opinion, I don't believe in scope creep. I think your understanding grows. Scope is hard to fix upfront if you don't have enough context. So when your stakeholder is talking about their problem, trying to understand where they're coming from. Why are they saying it? Maybe sometimes it will help define your score better. Maybe it will define your outcome better, your measure of success better. I think we should consider that. But not all the time what they're asking is relevant to the outcome you're trying to achieve. Then you need to jointly make a decision whether this is included or not. So that's this point number two, understanding their constraints and, and helping them achieve their outcomes as well. And number three, give them the confidence. This is product managers, by the way. We have an element of project management there as well. We can't get out of that. So one of the ways I found it, I can able to give confidence to my stakeholders that I've got it under control is, is by showing how proactive that I can deliver a, a particular outcome, having a release plan, having all the blockers identified and, and risk shared upfront. We can give the confidence, yep, yeah, this is in good hands. I was able to use those three in practical initiatives in the past. And I think everyone should be able to take something away from her three principles around stakeholder management. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. And I think for me, the interesting part that resonates there is just around the role that as product people we play to not quite influence people, because that's certainly been put that way, but get people on site, right? And help build allies. Yeah. If you're working on an initiative, the best way to do it, build the roadmap together with the stakeholders. You don't build your roadmap on your own and then share it because that's when you get challenges. Oh, my piece is missing. Where is it? Mm. And yeah. have you had success doing that within Sarah and projects? And- yeah. And the reason I share this is because I actually put it in practice and I knew that it worked for me. When I was in Workflow Max XPM, we were rolling out the payment service provider change at there. And I had to work with marketing, sales, business development managers of Workflow Max to make it work so that it's a successful rollout. And at the time, I had to understand the constraints from sales because we couldn't just make the changes and send an email to subscription holders and say, hey, uh, make this change because we had partner channels as well. I felt that that was a successful project where I took it from a half-page document to all the way of delivering and I use these three principles on that. They're awesome. And I think hearing confidence in 
people, it makes me think of transparency. So just being really transparent about your processes and how you're going about things. And I, I really like the one hour, one page. I'm curious, I guess there's a couple of challenges there. Firstly, is knowing who your stakeholders are, but then also bringing them in. What's the ask of them when you're like, I've got this one pager. How do you work with stakeholders to develop that through and the expectations around them versus what you're doing? I was drawing parallel between the one hour one page concept and what Teresa Torres said. You know, they, they're kind of different, but I'll, let me talk about both as well. So the one hour one page is all about as a product person, you should try and collaborate early and, and limit the investment you're doing because the challenge with putting so much investment on something, you could be wrong. You could be working on the, the wrong idea, but how could you maximize the time you have to get the, the best out of it, right? Let's think about you have a hypothesis about a problem, right? And you don't want to create a 50-page slide deck and talk about all this opportunity sizing and all that. You want to, first of all, write a one-hour, one-page. And by the way, it doesn't have to be one page. It could be five slides or a, a couple of mirror of, a frameworks, whatever that is. But, but you'll get the idea, right? You want to minimize what you're putting in and then start validating with people. So that validation for me could look like working with a design manager and dev manager to say, hey, this is the idea we have the product and we think it's going to be valuable this is viable but do you think this, this is something we can build feasibly do you think this is something users would do so that's the idea with the stakeholder side you're never going to have clarity when you start an initiative or a project always there's ambiguity you don't know where to start that that's very common and be open about that in that stride time what i know is that people had different understanding of how the subscription work in workflow max xpm so the first thing that I've, I remember doing is we got the engineers and the CX billing team to come and just present what we currently do. So they're creating a common understanding was a step one for me at the time. So we just laid out, okay, this is the current uh, workflow for a user, how they um, pay for Workflow Max and what happens after they pay. So the stakeholders all now in the same page. Then people will start to, okay, ask the question, okay, this is what I do in my area. So is that right? So creating that common ground is very important. And that's probably one way of, building a little bit of confidence and stability for an ambiguous situation. Cool. Yeah, that's really helpful. Nice. Okay. So, Ronan, your personal accomplishment is climbing to Everest Base Camp, which is pretty <laughs> amazing. What's your greatest professional accomplishment? I gave you the Stripe example at Workflow Max XPM. I, I felt quite um, satisfied about it because I was there from the beginning to the end and you don't get to see the project end-to-end -end or uh, initiative end-to-end. -end. So that was, that was awesome. But recent times, um, I'm really proud of our team. So you've heard from Kelsey last week or week before Fireside Chat around the voice of customer. So it was one of my ports that actually delivered that alongside Kelsey's team. What we've delivered is, is an ability for zeros to collect insights and share it with the, the rest of the zeros in a scalable, a compliant and accessible way. So we build the foundation and the value to come along uh, in the next few years as well, but there's already a lot of value. So the, probably the key area that I'm so proud of is moving our NPS survey capabilities. And what that actually delivers is a central place where all the NPS survey results are captured and give better access and better scalability for a lot more zeros to come and access. Remember previously it was just Kelsey's team who has access to the NPS data now. The plan is to give access to pretty much every single zeros in the future down the line, right? And also the platform Qualtrics is very good in slicing and dicing that insight. So you're actually able to get a lot more from it. Exactly one year ago, August last year, Kelsey and I were chatting about, hey, we need to kick off this initiative. We have no no people, no pod, nothing. Around August to December, we started to hire one by one. Uh, January, we released the foundational piece. The, the Qualtrics platform was up and running and had the integration with CRM and all that. 
and June, July this year, we've uh, completed the NPS survey migration. I'm so proud of the team that who's done it because this wasn't an easy journey. And uh, why I say that, we had some solution design challenges. We had to kind of change our design a couple of times along the way, and it started with something else. And that port wasn't fully formed until probably a few months ago. We couldn't hire the engineers fast enough. So that port was borrowing people from other port and completing this work. It's a perfect timing. So I'm really stoked of starting from nowhere to producing a value and leading a team to give that value for zero. That sounds like a, a really fascinating journey. And I'm sure breaking that out into the, the yeah. lessons that you learn, people would love to hear more about that. Just to pause as well, Net Promoter Score, the way of measuring how our customers, I guess, enjoy or, or would rate our platform, right? And the impact of that is that teams across there then can understand when they're delivering things or features or whatever, if that's actually making a positive impact. Yeah. And remember, it's, it's a brand experience. Qualtrics is capable of providing much, much more than that. So that we already send ad hoc surveys to our customers. So for example, we've sent a mobile experience surveys through Qualtrics platform. So that's quite specific to that experience. And we could do a lot more about product experiences and within the product, what are the moments that matter for a particular person? So there's a lot more to come. The potential is huge. Totally is. Yeah, that was a great fireside chat. It's all open for everybody in product to go or and beyond to go and have a look. So thank you, Kelsey, for coming <laughs> along and presenting that. I'm going to move us on to the rapid fire questions. To start, if you got a book or an article, you've already mentioned maybe one or two that you'd recommend. Yeah, this is not going to be a surprise to you, but I would highly, highly recommend everyone to absorb as much as you can from the Inspired and Empowered. I'm currently finishing up the Empowered book. I've kind of posted because I actually went to the Empowered training by Marty for a week. So since I've done that, I post reading that. So I've got a few more chapters to finish it up. Once I finish Empowered, probably the next book I will pick up, which I already have, is Continuous Discovery Habits from uh, Teresa Torres or uh, No Rules Rules by the Netflix Culture. One of those two. Great reads. Next one podcast you've already mentioned some but a podcast you'd recommend yeah i've been listening to a lot of podcasts now because i'm training for a marathon i've got a lot of my own time so <laughs> it's so great to catch up like all the way back to 2021 and listening to all the podcasts my favorite in product world is mtp's product experience podcast uh, I, I think the quality is pretty good on that uh, i do listen to product management talk and product podcast uh, as well so i think the product podcast is from product school but other than product, um, I love listening to investment and financial advice. So I listen to NZ Everyday Investor and Cooking the Books. Those are my two favorites. Also, just to kind of keep in touch with the news and technology, I, I listen to the NZ Tech Podcast. Once in a while, if, uh, if I'm in a sort of a creative mood, want to listen to something completely different, I go to Tim Ferriss' show or 99% Invisible or A16Z and things like that. But a lot of time, probably I go like five to eight hours every week where I'm doing my marathon training and then listening to podcasts these last few weeks. You're not just running the Rocky soundtrack back the whole time. Da, da. Nah, that, was... <laughs> that is awesome. A lot of those podcasts I know, yeah, I've got like a 24-hour flight coming up, so I might just <laughs> yeah, yeah. download loads of those. Cool. What are you most grateful for? Simple. I'm really grateful for being in product. Like I said earlier on, I could not think of any other field where I can be <laughs> right now. I'm so grateful. I figured out product quite recently, a few years ago. I think I've always been a, a learner a teacher and a creator of value or someone who's interested about value creation. So it was quite natural for me to be in product. And I think that's what I'm grateful for that. I finally figured out where I should be. There you go. And to bring us home, do you have any final things you want to share or any key takeaways? Two things. 
probably number one, it's about validation. I think it's very important in product, whatever you do, validate all along the way, whether you are validating a particular problem with a customer or you're validating a slide deck you are creating. The earlier that you can bring someone along the way and test out your assumptions, it's great. So my first recommendation for anyone at any stage is validate along the way. The second one, probably more for people who are starting a new job or getting into product, use your first few weeks or months to learn about the product and customers early because uh, two reasons. One, you're not going to have a lot of time later on because you're going to get into the weeds and probably get more involved in the initiatives. And secondly, every conversation you have later on, if you had a little bit of context about the product and customers, it's going to make a lot more sense. It's going to be meaningful. And then you actually be satisfied because you can contribute more. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank great. you for Thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. And I just want to say I've done this kind of community events before, both in Product Tang and at Zero XPMG. I know how much effort it takes for both of you, Fran and, and Lockie. And thanks to Hannah, Steph, and others as well. So you guys are doing uh, some great work for Zero and others. So keep doing that and keep the momentum going. So thank you so much for you guys. Thank you.